right. <clears throat> well, good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Find your way to 1 John chapter 4. If you are new to Doxa, again, welcome. My name is Rob, one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of the Doxa family today. You are catching us in the tail end of a 12-week study through the letter of 1 John. We got a couple more weeks, then we're gonna spend some time looking at the attributes of God, and then as we get into the fall, we're gonna take a journey through the book of Daniel, which is gonna be an awesome time. But as you get to 1 John chapter four, let me, let me start off by saying this, guys. As we've been walking through the pages in the words of, of 1 John, you've, you've maybe have noticed that John seems to repeat himself at times. Have you, have you picked up on this? Like he says some things, there's some ideas, there's some thoughts, and then he kind of like reiterates them, right? And you're like, re- you're, as you're reading, you're kind of like, didn't he just say that? And you go back and you're like, he did in fact just say that. And he's, he's talking about the same stuff over and over again. Over again. And guys, I want you to know that there's a reason for this. All right, see, John is very Hebrew in his writing and his thinking. All right? And what that means is that as he writes, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he tends to think and write in, in a very nonlinear way. All right? That Greeks, in their thinking and their writing, they are very lin- linear. All right? and they start with A, they end with Z, right? and they just go in a straight line. But Hebrews tended to be more cyclical. And so as John writes what he does, there's some ideas that he kind of floats out there, he presents to us, then he moves on to a different topic, and then he kind of circles back and brings them back around. And it can kind of be difficult, you know, to kind of go through this in a verse-by-verse train of thought. But his writing style, as you've picked up, is, is very conversational in nature. And so as we get into this today, <clears throat> there's going to be some things that we're going to hear John say that he has already touched on previously throughout this study. But what he is doing is he's kind of going back and he's representing some stuff to us and he goes a little bit deeper. He's gonna dig out more and more of his purpose in writing and really the significance of this topic. And today, for the third time in four chapters, we're considering the subject of love. And as we've been going through this, right, love has kind of been like the resounding gong of this letter. Some 40 different times in five chapters of 1 John, we encounter the word or the idea of love. And as John talks about love, okay, he does so by speaking in terms of three different kinds of love. He talks about God's love for us, he talks about our love for God, and then our love for one another. And this concept of love for John, and not just John, but his best friend, Jesus, it just keeps coming up because it's very, very significant. And as I've been reading this and and studying this book alongside you guys, John's emphasis on love, right? It it seems that, you know, John kind of saw something in these Christians. He's writing to them, he's telling them a lot of different things, but it seems like he just has this need to really hit this idea of love and help them to understand love's primacy in our lives. Because if you think about the Christians that John is writing to, right? Last week when we talked about uh, they had overcome false teaching. So they knew their Bible, right? They weren't being swayed by culture. John was just encouraging him. And he says, you've overcome. So they knew scripture. They weren't living like these crazy lives like the Corinthians. If you were here like a year ago when we went through that book, I mean, it was just like Christians gone wild. It was crazy. But that's not here. But as John is looking at him, he's like, okay, they're kind of believing the right stuff, right? They're they're kind of living in, in, a, in a good way. But the question is, is did they love? Like, did they actually love one another? And this is the question that I would 
implore you and all of us to really think about that. Like we, especially those of you who have been in the church a long time, you've, you've heard the love sermons and, and it's like, okay, of course, like Christians love. I think this passage is demanding us to really say, do I actually love? Are we loving people? Because love is really the paramount mark of a Christian and it shows that our faith is actually real and genuine. And so as we consider this today, let me just ask you this question, okay? Like, how would you define love? Right, those of you who have kids, right? Like, how would you actually define what love is? Or maybe how would you even think about the importance of love? Like, how would you define that? If you really kind of push yourself to really do that, it's sometimes hard to get words to this because in our world today, there is no real agreed upon definition of love. And if we don't know what real love is, we won't be able to live in it and we won't be able to live it out, which John suggests is really just a key indicator of the authenticity of our faith. And so in order for us to like wrap our minds around this concept of love today, what John does is really what my daughter Lily did this past week with one of her toys. Okay, I walked downstairs. I don't even know what she was playing with. It was pink, but that's not helpful because everything in my house is pink. But she's got my screwdrivers out and she's taking apart one of her toys. And I'm like, baby girl, what are you doing? And she's like, I gotta figure out how this thing works, right? And all of a sudden she's got springs flying everywhere. I'm like, you just ruined that, okay? <laughs> Daddy's not going back to the store. But this is what we're gonna do. She was taking apart her toy because she really just wanted to know, how does this thing work? Guys, this is what John does with love here. He basically loves or lays love on the table and kind of takes it apart so that we can understand what it is, how it works, and why it's so important in our lives. And so this is what we're gonna do with 1 John chapter four today. We're gonna ask a series of questions, really just to understand, to seek to understand true love. And the big idea as it relates to love is this, is guys, when love, when the love of God lands in your heart, it shows up in your life. That if the love of God is actually in your life and it's landed in your heart, it's gonna show up and manifest itself throughout your life. And you can't give away what you don't have and you can't have what you don't know. And so in order for us to have God's love in our heart, which is what saves us and forgives us and redeems us and seals us and assures us of eternity in heaven, guys, we need to understand what it is. And so the first question to help us understand love is this. Where does love come from? Verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. All right, so John says that love is from God and that God is in fact love. And this seems very straightforward, but this is so important to spend some time talking about this. See, John wants us to know something very significant about love and he begins with saying what? Beloved, right? And just like John, if you've been around through this teaching series, I'm gonna repeat myself today. Beloved means you are loved by God. Doxa, God loves you. He loves you, he's a father. And before God tells us to love anybody else, God first loves us. And before God tells us what to do, he tells us who he is. And so if you are a Christian here, you have a father in heaven who loves you. You have a father in heaven who loves you and I want that to just sink into your life because that is so easy to move on or move past and you say, okay, well, what else? That is enough, amen? You have a father in heaven who loves you. And this really hit me the other day as I was sitting in a coffee shop writing this message. 
I was sitting there thinking about the words of John and this whole idea of love and at a table in front of me was this little girl and her dad. <clears throat> and this, this dad was just sitting next to his little girl. She was drinking a smoothie. He was rubbing her back. And I watched him. He leaned over. He kind of just kissed her on the head and then just held the back of her neck and was like, I love you, girl. And I was just sitting there. And as I watched this, I was like, man, that's kind of like me and God. Like he's a father like that. And he loves me. And you need to know that he loves you. And as I watched this dad with his little girl, it brought to mind Zephaniah chapter 3, which just gives us a, a picture of God as a father singing over us, rejoicing over us as his kids. And so I just need to stop and just tell you guys, remind you of the great truth that you have a father in heaven who loves you. He's crazy about you. He sees you. He cares for you. This is your relationship with God, Christian. And I know that some of you will, will hear that and you'll struggle, right? Because this side of eternity, we're, we're broken. And some of you will hear that you have a father in heaven who loves you and you'll say, well, man, I, I've done some bad things in my past. Like you don't know how bad of a weekend this was. Like I'm not living an obedient life right now or like fill in the blank with whatever other thing that's gonna make you question if God actually loves you. But as much as I can, every time I get up here and I open up the Bible, I want you to know that God's love for you is not based on your performance. It's just not. That's religion. And Paul says it's a dog. It's bad. But please hear me on this, because there is a bounding joy and there's freedom in this, guys. Your relationship with God is not predicated on your performance, but it's predicated upon his character. And God is love. He loves you, he forgives you, he changes you, and he helps you. And what John wants us to see is that love actually begins with God. He is the source of love, and that love comes to us and then flows through us towards other people. This is how love works. And so when John is talking about this idea of, of loving people, we don't love people to get God to love us, but we love people with the love that God has for us. This is how love works. Love begins with God. And so in our world, right, the source of any expression of love that we see, experience, witness, it, we need to know that it flows from God. Listen to how a man named John Piper, he says it so well, and I quote, he says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. And so it's God's essence and nature to love, and everything that God does is in fact loving because he is love. He's love. Now, if you look at the end, the tail end of verse 8, you're going to see one of the most famous misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. God is love, right? You guys, you, some of you, your grandmas, they have the doilies from Hobby Lobby. It's all over the house, right? You, get, you guys got the bumper sticker, whatever, right? God is love. And I want to say just a few things about this to help you understand what this means, but maybe even more significantly, what this doesn't mean. All right, first we need to understand that saying God is love does not equal love is God any more than saying grass is green means green is grass. All right, because understand this. Love does not define God, but God defines love. And when John says that God is love, you need to know that God is not only love. 
This is an attribute of God, and as we read through the Bible, we see many attributes of God. Love is one of the ways that God reveals himself to us, and so we see that God is in fact love, but he's also holy, and he's just, and he's righteous, and he's good, and he's gracious, and he's patient, and he's kind, he's merciful, he's all of these things and more. And the attribute of God is love is just one of God's attributes. And with this, here's what you need to know. Doxa, we need to be very careful not to take one of God's attributes and just elevate it above all of God's other attributes. Because for example, if, if you were to say, you know what, God is sovereign, and in your mind this is the, what defines God, you lift that above every other attribute, you might be tempted to start believing that God is the creator of sin and evil, and that he's not good. But he's not just sovereign, he's also good simultaneously perfect in both of these ways. And when it says that God is loved, guys, this is 100% true, but you cannot neglect where John started in 1 John, that God is also holy. Right in, in chapter one, John said that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And there John was talking about the holiness of God, the perfection of God. And so he starts off by telling us in chapter one that God is holy, he's totally set apart, he's, he's perfect, And now he tells us that God is actually love, and both are simultaneously true. And the reason that I spend any amount of time talking about this is because what tends to happen with a lot of people, especially in our culture today, which is not good and leads to all types of confusion and error when it comes to God in the Bible, is that people will take one of God's attributes and they will rise it above every other of God's attributes. Or they will take it as like the one thing that God absolutely is and make it, this is what God is all about. And this happens so frequently when it comes to this little statement, God is love, that people will will take this, and what happens is that love becomes God. And when this happens, like people create a definition of what God is to thereby judge who God is and how God is. And people will begin to think, well, man, God, he couldn't send people to hell for sin because that's not loving. And I don't understand God like that, but I know that he's love, and so there's no way that hell is, is real because he wouldn't do that. Or people will say, man, God wouldn't really say that certain ways of living are sinful and wrong because God loves people. God created people in his image. We've talked about this. And he loves those people and he wants those people to be happy. So God wouldn't say that a certain style of living is is sinful and wrong because he wants people to be happy. And when people do these things, they're actually saying this is that love, as, as they understand it, is God, which is really not true. It's that God is in fact love. And what this means is that who God is and what God says is the definition of love and what is loving. And this is why we need the scriptures This is why we submit our lives under the authority of the Bible because what God says and who God is and what God does is our definition of love. And we don't judge God by that, but we allow God to inform us of what love actually is. And so God is love. He's where we find the definition of love and how we live out and express love. Love comes from God. And this leads into our next question. All right, what does love look like? Look at verse 9. 
It comes from God, and here's what it looks like. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so as John is talking about love and and our love for God and our love for one another, he gives us a picture of what love actually looks like. Right? That it's one thing to just talk about love, but it's something totally different to show love. And for John, the greatest manifestation of love is seen in God the Father sending God the Son, Jesus Christ. And what he's getting at here, and you need to know this, is, and it's, this is really important when we think about love, is that our God is not just a talking God. He's an acting God. He's a doing God. He's a sacrificing God. He's a serving God. And this is what love actually looks like. And John gives us four ways to see the love of God and what this love looks like in action. First, I want you to notice, just look back, what, like God's love caused the mission of sending Jesus. And if you look back, those words, God sent, very significant. Because here's what this means. God loves first. He absolutely loves first. And it was God who took the initiative to reconcile the broken relationship that humanity has with God because of sin in our life. And if you would just pause, like pause to think about that, you see the greatness of God's love. Because it was humanity, it was us that rebelled against God. It was us that that sinned against God, that broke the relationship that God created. And it wasn't us being like, wow, we re- I really messed up. I need to go and make things right with God. Instead, what we did is we just kept going deeper and deeper, darker and darker, and that's why the world is the way that it is today. It's because sin has taken root in humanity and broken everything. And we just ran as hard and fast as we could away from God, but God, out of love, came running after us. And thankfully, he's way faster This is the love of God, it's in action, it caused him to send. Second, I want you to notice whom God sent. Right, that God didn't just send like a prophet, he didn't send an angel, he sent his son. That our sin created such a mess that only the son of God himself could just extricate it from us. And God stepped into our mess to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And John says, you wanna know what love is? This is love. The third thing, look at verse nine. Notice why God sent his son. John says that we may live through him. All right, if you're familiar with your Bible, if you think to places like Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul put it this way, that we were dead in our sin and trespasses. But God, the two greatest words in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy and full of love, he sent Jesus to save us. Guys, this is the gospel, right? I mean, this is the, the reason why you have any amount of joy. This is the reason why it makes total sense to gather like this in the middle of a, a city like Madison and praise God and sing and have our hands up because this is the gospel. That our only hope of escaping complete separation from God because of sin, which is really just the terrible conscious reality of hell, was God himself. And he came to do that for us. It was the love of God that led to the action of God to give. And apart from that, 
Guys, we would still be dead in our sin and our trespasses and we would just be marching towards hell. But the love of God became manifest and Jesus came to give us an escape, forgiveness, and life. And the way that he did this shows us the fourth fourth thing. All right, notice the cost of love. Love actually costs something. For you to love somebody, it will cost you something. And we see this in Jesus. John says twice in verses 9 and 10, if you look back, that the aim of Jesus was to, to be the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation really just shows us what love is like. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'll remind you of what propitiation is. All right, propitiation literally means that Jesus came to bear our punishment for sin and to be the one who removes the wrath of God from us. The wrath of God is real. God is loving, but he's also judged, and we cannot dismiss the wrath of God. It is a very real thing that will come to judge sin. And Jesus being our propitiation, he takes a person out of the path of the wrath of God through faith. And again, just pause, Christian. Like, pause and think of that. It is amazing. This is enough. I could get off the stage and have the band come up and we could celebrate Jesus and sing like never before. That is enough. That God's love sent his son to bear his just penalty and take away his just wrath for sin. And so Jesus became our propitiation by laying down his life for us, dying for us. And John says this is the manifestation of of God's nature. This is the way God is. This is, in fact, love. And if you're newer to church, if you're newer to the Bible, you're newer to Christianity, I want you to know that this is what every single person in this world needs above everything else in life. And I'll say this to you, if you're you're here and you're not a Christian, I love that you're here. It was not that many years ago that I was in a place like this, not following Jesus, but kind of intrigued by Jesus. And it's my highest honor to teach you the Bible and to share with you the love of God today. But this is what your life is all about. And God, with his Father's heart of love, he's brought you here today to learn of his love, to hear of his love, so you can ultimately experience his love. But that's not going to happen by you singing songs and just listening to the Bible taught. It's going to be by you laying down your sin, laying down your pride, and coming to him and just surrendering. And say, Jesus, nothing in my hands I bring, but only to the cross I cling. Take my sin, give me your righteousness. This is what your life is all about. The invitation for you is to come to God, to experience the love of God, and he will give you life, eternal life, salvation. So everything I can do to encourage you, this is why this church exists, to get this message out so that you can be forgiven of sin and have eternity with the Father. And so John is saying, If we want to know what true love looks like, we always look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, we see the love of God made manifest. And to be made manifest literally means just to be made clear or to put on display. And so John says, God is love, that all love flows from God. It comes to us through Jesus, and then it flows from us to others. And as we give that love away, we look to Jesus as our model as to how we do it. And as we look to Jesus, guys, we see that true love, and I want you to write this down to really think about and talk about this at your connection groups this week, is that true love is selfless, sacrificial, and action-oriented. This is what true love is. And what that means is that as I live towards you, right, it's just not me that I'm thinking about. 
I see your needs. I see your wants. I see your well-being. And all of those things are considered by me as I live towards you. That I don't just exist for myself and you don't exist for me, but I exist to serve you. And this is really the example of the Lord Jesus. That he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And Jesus came and he came selflessly, not selfishly. And as we think about this in our day and age, we live in a world that is totally self-absorbed and totally self-consumed. In our culture, guys, it's, it's about me. It's about my wants, my betterment, my schedule, my promotion, my agenda, and the list goes on. But that's not love. Love is not self-consumed, it's others-consumed. Love is considering the other. It's selfless, it's sacrificial, and it's action-oriented. If you want a great picture of love, again, in your connection groups this week, spend some time reading through Philippians chapter 2. You see the humility of Jesus and how he lived towards us. He emptied himself, became nothing, because he considered us. This is love. And John is saying, as he's talking about love and loving others, that love is not simply just like nice, sentimental thoughts and warm smiles but it's action. It's thinking of the good of others over ourselves to meet the needs that people have, which is in fact costly. That it costs uh, cost us to love like God. And this is why so many people, we, we don't wanna love in this way, because it costs us something. Something in us has to die. And so if you tell somebody, like in a very practical way, you tell somebody, I love you, but you're a, a taker and not a giver, you're not really loving. You're not really loving like God loves. And for us, Doxa, to be the church family that God has created us to be, we need to love like Jesus. Because there's many things that our church, I say this all the time, right? There's so many things that we can be known for. We've got great worship. We've got mediocre teaching, right? We've got all these things. But if there's one thing that I pray God makes true of our church is that the city, the world would look at us and be like, I don't agree with everything, but those are some loving people. They love so well. And I'll even say this, okay? For those of you who are married, you're in relationships, you wanna grow your relationship and find intimacy and together in closeness, you need to think selfless and sacrificial. If you live like this towards people, this will change every single one of your relationships. I've experienced this in my marriage. Lisa and I, we, we meet with a lot of couples and this is my number one piece of marriage advice. It's the easiest thing in the world, right? Just to say it, be sacrificial, be selfless. That's, wow, that's all I gotta do? You know, that causes you to die. And that's why there's so many bad marriages. Because I don't wanna die. I got my agenda. I got my thoughts on things. And I'm not gonna sacrifice and I'm not gonna be selfless because it's about me. John says, well, if you wanna be like Jesus, you have to die. And you die by being selfless and sacrificial. Try that and see how your relationship with others changes and see how your intimacy with God grows. It'll be amazing.
third question. In order to understand love, here's the third question. Why should we love others? Right? Verse 11. Beloved. Again, he keeps coming back to beloved. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, guys, like sometimes you got to go in there and be like, well, what does the Greek say? That's, this is not one of those passages, right? He says, pretty straightforward. But let me just say this. When John says, if God has loved us, we ought to love one another, because he's saying this, if the love of God is actually in you, it will readily come out of you. And this is just another reiteration of the love test that we've been seeing John say over and over again through this book. He's saying, show me your love for people and I will show you your love for God. Because for John, he, he really can't think of a situation. He thinks it's kind of impossible to say that you love God in here and that you know the love of God and you have the love of God and you experience the love of God, but then you don't love people. He says, I don't understand how that's even possible. It's not. That's the mark of the Christian is that they love God and that they love one another. Now look back to verse 11. When he writes this, the question that we should ask, guys, is how are we to understand that word ought? Right? He says you ought to love one another. And if you, if you isolate this verse and forget everything in the preceding verses, you might say, well, the point of the incarnation is really just imitation. Meaning, we see Jesus and how God loved us, and then we look how he did it, and we do that too. That we're obliged to do it. Kind of like a, I gotta pay it forward type of thing. But this is why reading the Bible in context is a very significant thing that we're trying to reiterate in, in our people here to teach you how to read the scriptures because John has not forgotten what he wrote in verses seven and eight. If you look back, he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so when John says we ought to love each other, he means ought in the way that a fish ought to swim in water or birds ought to fly in the sky or a, a living person ought to breathe or an animal ought to eat or apples grow on, ought to grow on apple trees or born again people ought to love because this is who we are. It's who we are. That if you've been born of God by the love of God through Jesus, when you love, guys, this is just living as you truly are. And so when a Christian, you see a Christian flying the flag, they got the fish bumper sticker, they got the tattoos, they got all that stuff, and when you see them not loving, it's as strange as seeing a fish that can't swim. It's like it doesn't make sense. Because God's love has caused us to be born again in his nature. And that's why John keeps saying that if we are Christians, it's our nature to love. And if we don't do it, there's something wrong. We're like a fish that doesn't know how to swim in water. And that's weird. And John says, it's weird when you don't love. Because it says something about your faith. Doxa, let's be, let's, can we just be a church? that strips off all the religion, that strips off all the superfluous stuff and just love God and love people and be who we are. Can we do that? Man, does that sound freeing? No? Okay, we can keep playing church. That's fine, okay? Let's love because this is who we are. God has caused us to be born again through Jesus. Let's live who we are. Fourth question, only nine more to go, okay? 
What happens, I'm totally joking, if you're new, you're like, are you serious? No. What happens when we love? All right, and the truth is, a lot happens. But look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is Jesus, our propitiation. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now there's, there's so much I can say about these verses, but I want to show you three things that John says will happen when we actually love like this. First, look back to verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So when we love, the invisible God is seen. You need to understand this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that God is invisible. John in his gospel in chapter 4, verse 24, says that God is spirit. And so no one can see God in his essence. But Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God and stepping into human history, Jesus was able to reveal God to us and the people who physically walked alongside Jesus living on earth at that time saw God in the flesh. They saw God. But for us, all right, so we think Jesus is no longer on earth and so the question is, is how does God reveal himself to the people of the world today? The answer, through the love of his kids that while people cannot see God, they can see us. And if we've experienced the love of God and know the love of God and have the love of God in us by the Spirit of God, our love for one another will allow people to see God through us. This is what John is saying. You see why love is so significant. He's saying that people seeing you love others is evidence to them that God is real and that God lives in you. Because when you live out this love, it will be so radical because it's not gonna be based upon like affection or sexual desire, but it's gonna be selfless and sacrificial, which is a love that our world doesn't tend to know, know anything about. And they will see Jesus. And I really just want us to understand this, guys, because the truth is you can sit down with someone for 24 hours and just talk to them about the Bible, you can share with them all the attributes of God, you can teach them systematic theologies, and your listeners still not know God. But when that same person sees God's love lived out in your life towards them, they begin to see God. The invisible God becomes visible to them through you. This is what John is trying to help us understand. And as I was thinking about that this week, you know, it brought to mind a couple of my college teammates. I remember, like, there was a couple guys that came to know Jesus like this. 
When I became a Christian my senior year in college, God just like radically changed my life. He changed my heart, he changed my love. And as my friends lived alongside me, like they all kind of were like, you're weird. And then as I kept walking with them, they're like, okay, Rob didn't go crazy, but there's something happening and they couldn't explain. And I remember sitting down with one of my big country boys, his name was Strupp, and he'd be like, Robbie, you know, right? And I remember sitting there, he's like, what happened to you? You're different. And eventually, these men, the only thing that they could conclude was God is real, and he was in me, and they needed him. And when they put their faith in Jesus, I remember them saying that it was my love, which is actually not my love, but the love of God in me that caused them to see God. The love of God in you, which comes out of you, is missional by nature and will help people meet Jesus, which is what it's all about, right? We talk about it all the time, Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus, because Jesus loves people. Love. The second thing that John says that happens when we love is this, is that his love is perfected in us. And he talks about this three times, verse 12, 17, and 18. But here's what John is talking about. God desires for us to become like him. John already talked about this in chapter 2, verse 6, where he says, if anyone claims to live in him, he must walk as Jesus did. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 29, that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And Paul even talks about this again in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that we're to be imitators of God. And doctor, the truth is, is that we're never more like God than when we love others. And I need you to understand this. All right, your spiritual maturity is not measured by your age. Your spiritual maturity is not measured about how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been going to church or how many times you've been baptized or if you were baptized in the Jordan River or if you went to the Quiz Bowl. Like, it's not based on any about that. It's not about how long you've been a leader, how much Bible and theology you know. Your spiritual maturity is measured by your love. And some of you, you know a ton about the Bible, but you don't love the hero of the Bible. You don't love like the hero of the Bible. It's your love that Jesus says in John 13 that people will know that you're his disciple. And when John speaks about being perfected, the word literally means mature or complete. And he uses this word four times in this passage, and each time he just juxtaposes it with love. And so John is saying that God's love for us, which is a perfect love, finds its most complete expression when we respond to that love and then practice that love in our relationships with others. And so when we love, we're actually becoming who God has made us to be through Jesus. That we've reached our intended goal. And we don't do it perfectly, but we start living it out. And then the third thing that happens when we love, we see in verse 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, so here's what you need to know. A day of judgment is coming when Jesus will return and eradicate sin and evil and suffering forever. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago, back in chapter 3. Jesus' second coming, he's coming back. And this verse reminds us that every single person, Christian or not, will one day stand before God and give an account for their life. And on this day, depending on what we've done with our sin and what we've done with Jesus and his gospel, we will either enjoy eternal salvation or eternal damnation. 
That if someone has come to Jesus and given him their sin, and Jesus has become their propitiation, eternal salvation and joy will be their future. But the person who has spent their life ignoring sin or trying to deal with the sin that's in their life on their own, complete separation from God will be their eternal end. And again, if you're newer to the Bible and you're newer to the church, this is intense. But we love you enough to tell you the truth. We absolutely love you. And God loves you. And this is why you need to hear this. And this is why God with his heart of love, shares with us what he does through John. God is saying there's coming a day, that day will in fact come where every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and everybody will give an answer for their life and an answer for their sin. And if the only thing you say is Jesus, if you say anything else, it's not gonna work. It's only Jesus because Jesus is the only way. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And guys, we can't do anything about our sin problem. It's only Jesus. And John, through this, is just kind of saying, guys, please, beloved, God loves you. He loves you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that God loves you and he's brought you to this place so that you can come to him, so that he can take your sin. Because this day is actually coming. And if you've come to Jesus, you have absolute assurance. And John says that the love in your life is evidence that your faith is real. And if your faith is real, there is no fear of that judgment. That when Jesus comes back, it's going to be the best day of your life. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we're going to be a little bit scared because we're going to be like, oh my gosh, what is, that's my dad? That's crazy. And then he's going to give us a hug and I'm going to cry and it's going to be amazing. But there's assurance in this. You don't need to fear that. Now, the last question, I'm out of time, this is how I'm gonna end. How do we love? Because maybe you're, you're starting to understand love a bit more today, you're, you're seeing the importance of it, about receiving love and, and giving love, but you hear all this and you think, like how can I possibly love like that? Like selflessly and sacrificially like Jesus? And honestly, this is the right response. That in light of Jesus' unparalleled example of love and the high calling to be extensions of God's perfect love in the world, it would be natural for all of us to kind of just throw up our hands and just say, what? There is not a chance, like, I surrender. I surrender. Because no one can live up to this except for the perfect one, Jesus. I, though, it's not possible. I surrender. And you know what, Doxa? When you do that, you're exactly where you need to be exactly where you need to be. An attitude of surrender is what gets us out of the way and allows God, the Holy Spirit, to live the life of love through us. That the Christian life is not just something I live for God, but it's something that God lives through me, through his spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God abides in us. This is what John says. And the Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of power and love, and he uses us, and he moves us, and he changes us, and he causes us to love like we can't love on our own to live like we can't love on our own by a power that we don't possess. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. We surrender to him. If the love of God has landed in your heart, it will show up in your life. Show up in your life. And the proper response for us, guys, is if you do not know the love of God, You've examined it, but you haven't experienced it. 
you need to come to Jesus today. That's the only logical thing for you, is to come to Jesus and let him take you to the Father. So there is no fear, and there is no fear of your sin causing you separation. It's just Jesus and joy. Come to Jesus today. And Christian, remind yourself of the goodness of God, the love of God, the love of his gospel, the loving pursuit that he had in your life. And let that well up in you in worship, wonder, awe, and praise, and then just surrender to that love. And say, God, I can't do this, but I love you. And I want everybody to know you like I know you. Help me. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you that man, I am beloved. I thank you for your love for me. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me when I was still running after my sin. I thank you for all the lives in here that you've redeemed and you've saved and you've transformed by the love of Jesus. And so we recognize that it's not us that manufactures love and we're not the source of love, but you're the source. And thank you for your love coming to us. And would you help it to just flow through us? And I pray that those here that maybe would be questioning your love for them, that they would see the cross and that they would see your love for them. Help us not to just examine your love, but to experience it and live it out. Let us be that church. So, Doc, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to sing a song of surrender. And I'm just going to invite you to just do what you need to do. Maybe you need to come to Jesus and you grab your friend who you came here with or tap the guy in front of you and just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me find Jesus? Like, you need to come to Jesus today. Maybe you're in a place where there's just like sin that's keeping you from God and you just need to lay it down and accept the Father's love, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive when you confess your sin. Or maybe you just need to sit there with your hands open and just say, God, I surrender. I can't do it on my own. I surrender. And just ask him to just fill you with his love and push you forward by his love so that you can love other people. You do what you need to do during this song, but we're going to sing this song of surrender now. Get with Jesus.